If you're new here at Chapel Point, I'll tell you a little bit about what we believe uh, as a church, as a congregation, as a people. We believe that without God, there is real no hope. That we believe you can't define hope apart from Jesus Christ, his son. We believe that the world is broken, that we're all sinners, that we all messed up. But we also recognize that really uh, there's only two world religions. One religion says, and this is everything but Christianity, says that you, if you work hard enough and if you're good enough of a person, you can earn some type of eternal life with God the Father. Christianity is the only world religion that says, you know what, you can't be good enough. But if you will profess with your mouth and your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord who died for your sin because God knew that something had to take that punishment for the wrong that we have in life. Christianity believes that if you profess in your mouth uh, and with your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord that you can have eternal life. And that's the most beautiful thing that there is because you can't earn it. You're not going to ever be good enough of a person. But if you truly put your faith in Christ, and if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you recognize what he's done. It's not called legalism. It's called, hey, you know what? I want to do what he expects of me because I know what he's done for me. This is just temporary, and so we don't want to get lost in the temporary. Too many people get lost in the temporary. We get lost in things that really just don't matter and our emotions are there and the feelings are there and our resources, we pour our resources into the temporary and our time and our energy. We want to find ourselves in the eternal, not get lost in the temporary. And so when a 30-year-old woman says, I've never met a practicing Christian, it breaks my heart. Because we can make a difference and that's the beauty of God. We know that God wants to come into someone's life and he says, you know what? I have more for you than you could ever ask or imagine if you would surrender to me. My ways are not your ways. My thoughts aren't your thoughts. And guess what? My ways and thoughts are higher than your ways and thoughts. And I can use anybody to do anything that I want once they surrender their life to me because I am God. And so when a 30-year-old woman says, I've never met a practicing Christian, it should break your heart. Because I'm also wondering how many of them maybe live in Michigan. Hmm. We're in a series right now. It's the last week of it. It's a series we've been doing called Lost as we have walked through uh, Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15 is parable of the lost sheep, lost coin, and then the lost son. The lost son is probably one of the most popular passages that we've seen, that we find in scripture that people are aware of, people know about. But let me go ahead and tell you now, that does not mean the reason I've even been reading it over and over to you is because I know that that means some of you may never have heard it before. And you're going, no, everybody's heard that before. No, they have not. I've told you the story when I preached a year and a half ago on David and Goliath. And I said, I know all of you know this. I had two couples come to me later and said, I've never heard that story before. Maybe because they've never heard of or seen a practicing Christian. Um, so this is a wonderful story where um, if you're new here for the very first time today, what takes place in Luke chapter 15, verse 11 and following. 
So it's in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, Luke chapter 15, verse 11 and following. What takes place is this young, younger son, there's two sons, the younger one who in that culture had very little rights, very little say-so, came to his father, disgraced him and said, I want my inheritance right now. And the father actually agreed to it, something he could have really just kicked him out of the family, been done with him forever and ever. He decides not to do it. He gives him his share in the inheritance. The guy runs away from home, and he spends and he wastes everything he has. After he had done that, a famine hit the country, uh, hit the entire area, the entire region, and so he had nothing. He began working for a citizen of the country, found himself living with pigs, and he's like, hey, even the servants that my father has has more than I do. I'm going to go back. Deciding to go back was really important because uh, it's his only way of really having any type of hope. So he goes back. But the father, even though his right is to be able to to disgrace his son by saying, I'm going to make you sit out and let people mock you. And maybe I'll let you be a servant one day. Instead, the father jacks up his robe, runs to the son. Without his son saying a word, he embraces him and he kisses him and he loves on him. And he begins to throw a party for him and begins to celebrate. Why? Because we know that he killed a fattened calf. The very best that he had. Typically what would happen in that culture is if, if you killed a fattened calf, you would have 100 to 200 people come to a party. So he's throwing a real party. It's not like he's throwing a surprise party for someone or anything else and you got four people showing up. He's got 100, maybe 200 people coming and he's throwing them this enormous party because he's celebrating the fact that all of a sudden his son has returned home. And so last week we were able to speak about really accepting that father's love, accepting the father's embrace, right? And... This week we come, though, to a different part of the story because as his older brother, this younger son's brother, right, is coming home, he's been out in the fields, and it tells you they've got a lot of property. He has a lot of resources because initially he didn't know what was going on. And it says that he starts walking toward his home, and he hears the music, and he sees this party, he sees this event happening, and so then he comes to his father and he says what's happening what's taking place in fact I want to read exactly for you right here in Luke chapter 15 verse 25 and following right I want to read this for us and it says meanwhile the older son was in the field and when he came near the house he heard music and dancing So he calls one of the servants, asks him, what's going on? The servant replies, your brother has come back home. And so your father, he's killed the fattened calf. Because he has him back safe and sound. Your brother has come home. The older brother became angry at this, though. This is verse 28 and following. The older brother, he was angry, and he refused to go in. His father came out and treated him, but he answered his father. Look, these many years I've served you and I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. 
So here's a very easy way to think about it. Is the younger brother returned humiliated and disgraced. Right? You have the father who is ecstatic and exuberant that his younger son is returning. And the older brother is bitter and angry. Bitter and angry. Custom would have required the older son's presence, by the way. Because his father had decided to throw this party for the younger son, it would have required for the older son to come and be part, to take part in that celebration, but he refused to do it, which was already just disgrace. Whatever disgrace the son had already shown to the father by taking his inheritance, even requesting it, was a disgrace. Whatever disgrace had been shown to him by taking it and squandering it, wasting it, just throwing it away, was now being replicated in some ways by the older son by disgracing the father. I mean, it's just one thing after another. But he knows that if he enters the house, that it will appear that he's also honoring this prodigal son. And he's unwilling to do that. And so instead, the older son chooses to humiliate his father publicly. It's not only this, it's not only the fact that he tells a servant, I'm not going in. It says that his father came out and says, hey, I'm I'm asking you, please come in. Your brother, he was was done and now he's come home. I'm sure he was dead and he's alive. Come and be a part of this. And so for his father to go out and then for his response to be like, I'm not doing that. You go, what? What? How is that possible? He's now humiliating his father. And it's something that has stood out to me so many, many times. Is how do we sometimes humiliate our own father? When we don't speak on his behalf. For some reason we feel ashamed. We feel embarrassed to tell other people about the saving love of Jesus Christ. And so we, we just keep our mouth shut. Is that not humiliating to a father who has done so much for us? How do we sometimes humiliate our father? And I think one of the things that we do to humiliate our father is we reject his love. We reject his love. Because here the younger son is representing those who have been lost but are now found. But the older son represents those who are found but they think they're found but they're actually lost. That's why we always speak about it here. The hardest people to help are the ones who don't know they're lost. And this older son is irritated. And I think part of it has to do with his own jealousy and his own bitterness. His, sen- his own sense of justice. I am very, very grateful that God's sense of justice is different from our own. And I think this older son, and most, most scholars and pastors today will tell you that the elder brother is one of the most difficult ones to preach on when it comes to this story. Because it actually represents the people of the church today. So last week I got to preach on receiving the father's embrace, which is amazing. This week with the older son, part of it is going, oh my goodness, is this us?
And he's irritated, he's struggling, I think he's frustrated with the father. Because one of the things that's happened here is the father has brought the son back into the family. So the son, the younger son, was willing to come home and say, hey, just make me one of your servants. Even if you just make me one of your servants, I'll be better off than eating with the pigs. And so here he comes into the home and his father makes him part of the family again. Now, when you speak about the custom then, that would mean this. By bringing his son back into the family once again... What that meant was that all of a sudden, he is literally receiving part of the family's estate again. He just wasted a portion of it. Now he's being brought back in. Do you not think the older son is upset with this? That's not fair. We love that statement in the United States of America. We want everything to be fair. And if your parent never taught you that life ain't fair... I am sorry you have been cheated. If life were fair, we would have no hope in the name of Jesus. Because he would say, you know what? They don't deserve it. They haven't earned it, right? And I think he's got, he's, he's got a calculator in his back pocket, and he's whipping it out, and he's going, wait a second. You know how much money I just lost? That's not fair. Here's part of the problem, is that God is acting without consulting us first, and we don't like what he's decided to do. You ever found that to be the case? Right? That's the, the Father here represents God. That's why Jesus is telling this parable, he's telling this story. And what is taking place is this elder son, and he's, he's calling out the religious people right now. The religious people are squirming as they are listening to this story. And the struggle is that God is acting without consulting them. And they don't like what he's deciding to do. And there is so much arrogance and there is so much pride in that when we think we can tell God what he needs to do, how he needs to orchestrate the things of our life, how things need to be conducted, how things need to fall in place. There is so much arrogance and so much pride when you think you can tell and expect God to do what you want. And the elder son struggles with this. Maybe the big question is, are you okay with how God chooses to love everyone? The thing is, God knows your heart. Listen, I'm convinced the father here, he already knew the condition of the older son's heart. He already knew where he stood. He might be in the field working on the property, but actually I think he is the church member, the the one that we think about, the stereotypical one, who thinks that as long as they act a certain way and as long as they do certain things, they're going to be all right. And so he doesn't want to be there. Otherwise, he would have spoken up on behalf of his father when his brother was disgracing him at the very beginning of the story, but he chose not to. And so he was going to stay there and he was going to act a certain way and he was going to do what he had to do in order to get what was his, what he deserved, what he had coming. And now part of that, what he had coming, was going to go back to a younger brother who had already wasted, had already squandered so much previously. And he didn't like it. He didn't like it. And so he's coming and he hears this music and dancing 
And again, he, he, he's the guy who would have made sense to the Pharisees, to the religious leaders. They would have resented the younger son. They would have identified with the older son. It says that he summons one of the servants as he's walking up. And he began to inquire about, hey, what's going on? <laughs> I can, I can kind of hear him going, why wasn't I asked about this? Why wasn't I consulted? And the guy says, hey, your brother's come back. And this should have filled his heart with joy, right? This should have been like, what? My brother's alive? Right, that's the, here comes the party. Your brother's come home when they probably imagined him being dead. But instead of being joyful, all of a sudden, he's ticked off. He's angry. He's upset. was his worst fear not only that he came back but his father received him and it was at this moment this son could have had a change of heart and he had every opportunity especially when his his father comes out to see him and says no come it's your it's your brother he could have honored his father but instead he disgraces him why because one, one scholar I read, he says, because the older son is a secret sinner, and his secret sin is pride. He was prideful and he was arrogant. And really, he didn't think that somebody else deserved what he thought he should receive. And sometimes when we really look at it, is that not us? Guys, you can, you can show up for the 9 o'clock service, the 11 o'clock service. You can come to a 1 o'clock service. We're not going to be here, but you can sit here if you want to. And then you can come back tomorrow and the next day and the next day. But unless your heart is genuinely affectionate for God, it doesn't matter. And we think that as long as we do things the right way, then all of a sudden we should, we have something coming to us. And for us as believers, what a lot of people say, well, I'm going to have eternal life and I'm going to have more reward in heaven. And, and we start thinking about these kind of things. And then when other people come along, we go, no, wait, that's not fair. God has more than enough. And God is the one who is God and gets to make the decisions. Your older brothers come home should have filled his heart in such a wonderful, majestic, awe-inspiring way. And instead, you saw how calloused his heart really was. Do we really believe that God can redeem other people? And do we act like it? His response, verse 29, he says, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. This was his first response to the father. He doesn't say, hey, dad. He doesn't call him out with a title. He just says, hey, look, all these years. And he starts going through what he's done for the father. Remember, you can't earn salvation. It's not a matter of what you've done. It's what you've given your heart to. And that will 
direct your decisions. That will direct the path that you take. For so many years, I've been slaving for you. I've been serving you. He says, I've never neglected a command of yours, yet you've never given me a goat. He's done nothing for you, and he gets the fattened calf. It's not fair. There's a a book, Tim Keller, who's in New York. He wrote this book called Prodigal God. Maybe you've read it before, but he has a story in here that just just really stands out to me. I want to read this story to you. We're going to act like it's... Uh, we're at my house, 7326 Hidden Forest Court, all right? Hudsonville, Michigan, 49426. When we moved here, we memorized a song with the kids so they could remember their address. I was about to sing it. 73, anyway, I'm not going to. We're going to act like it's bedtime at my house. All the kids, like, read me a story. I read them a story. They're like, okay, now tell me a story about how you got hurt as a kid. <laughs> so I'll tell you the story. Once upon a time, there was a gardener who grew an enormous carrot. And so he took it to his king and he said, My Lord, this is the greatest carrot I've ever grown or ever will grow. Therefore, I wanted to come and I wanted to present it to you as a token of my love and my respect for you. And the king was touched. And he could discern the man's heart. And so... As the man turned to walk away, the king stopped him and said, Wait, you are clearly a good steward of the earth. I own a plot of land right next to yours. I want to give it to you freely as a gift so that you can garden all of it. The gardener was amazed and delighted, and he went home rejoicing. Well, there was a nobleman at the king's court, who overheard all of this taking place. And he said, man, if that is what you get for a carrot, what if you give the king something even greater? And so the next day, the nobleman came before the king, and he was leading this beautiful, handsome, black stallion. He bowed low and he said, my Lord, I've bred horses my entire life and this is the greatest horse I've ever bred or ever will breed. Therefore, I wanted to present it to you as a token of my love and my respect for you. But the king discerned his heart as well. And he said, thank you. And he took the horse and he dismissed the man. The nobleman was perplexed And the king could tell. And so before the nobleman could leave, the king called out to him, Stop! Let me explain. That gardener was giving me the carrot, but you were giving yourself the horse. This is why the elder son was struggling so much. Because all these things that he had been doing for years and years and years, right? The father knew they weren't really for him. They were for himself. 
And when you do something on behalf of Jesus Christ, ask yourself this. Does it make you go, wow, look at what I did? Or does it make you go, wow, maybe people will come to know God? There's a big difference. One, you're doing for yourself. One, you're doing for the master. And that's why this older son is struggling so much with this. Here's what the son is really saying. Father, I don't need to ask for your forgiveness. I haven't done anything wrong, but I'll tell you something. You need to ask me for forgiveness because of what you've done. He was outraged. That's what he was really communicating. He wanted the father to have to come and to apologize because he felt he had been cheated. You haven't been cheated. God owes you nothing more than what he has already done for you in the giving of his son, Jesus Christ. And when we really boil it down, we believe that God owes us more than what he's already done. And this older son is infuriated that his father would receive his brother back. Verse 30, he... He's addressing his father and he just says, when this son of yours, he's no longer referring to him as, when my brother came home, he says, when this son of yours came home, who devoured, wasted away all of your money, you killed the fattened calf and yet you've never even allowed me to do that with my friends. All of the fake respect and honor toward the father has just flown out the window. Right? That pretentious sense of worth that comes and you go, okay, well, you're going to act a certain way. And you talk about wearing masks. And it all flew out the window. Everybody was witnessing. Everybody was seeing his disgrace and his, his lack of love that he had toward both the father and his brother. Everybody's now seeing it. boast of his own obedience to the father and yet it was worth nothing and the father was pleading with him please eight different times the father looks at him and in Greek he says my son and it was this term of endearment my son eight times my son and yet nothing in response my child My child. And he continues in verse 31, 32. He says, my son, this is my child, the father says. Verse 31 and 32. He says the following. You're always with me. All that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate, to be glad. Because why? Your brother, he was dead and now he's alive again. He was lost and he is found. We had to celebrate. We had to rejoice. This goes back into me for the lost sheep, the lost coin. They find one sheep. They find one coin that's not even worth much money at all, right? And these people are rejoicing when one person 
surrenders to the authority of Jesus Christ, there's a celebration. There's a celebration. Maybe the big question for us is, are we okay with how God chooses to love other people? Are we okay with how God chooses to love other people? You know, we talk about the different social standards, the different social structures that we have, the categories that we place people within. I am grateful that God sees us all as the same, his son or his daughter. I'm grateful that he doesn't go, you know what, they dress a certain way, they don't dress a certain way, they haven't bathed today, or you know what, they can't even work hard enough to earn money to, to, to be able to provide for their own keep. I'm so grateful that God doesn't use my standard for what it is to know him. I'm grateful that God has a heart for everyone and not for only a few. And when I think about even what the Stevens were sharing today and I think about this story, I think about that 30-year-old woman who I went and I started praying for on the front row. Don't know them, don't know their name. First time I've heard that story. I'm going, God, there's a 30-year-old woman roughly. You know who this is in England right now, and they need to know you. And I'm convinced that, God, if, we've, if we have been the younger son, which we all have, and we've walked back home, and we've been broken, and we've been convicted, and we come before the Father, and we receive his love, I am convinced that then it wells up within us, and then all of a sudden what happens is we have our heart broken for those who have not encountered the love and the power of God. And too many of us go, oh, they don't know the Lord, and we keep walking because we don't have a heart for them. Either we don't care or we don't think they're worth it. It's one of the two. They are worth it, and God does care. And too many people today in the church are simply, just they just they watch them walk by, and we don't even give it a second thought. The younger son's heart had been broken and it had been restored. The older son had a broken heart that remained that way. Do you hurt for the people in your life who don't know Jesus? I know there may be a few of you who've never come here before, but I know that the vast majority are here every week. And you bless me by giving me the honor of being able to preach God's word. But do you really care? If other people know the very thing that you should be rejoicing in. 
That's the Father's love. Let's pray. And as we pray right now, I'm going to ask that you just silently, silently call out people in your life that maybe God wants you to impact with his love, with his joy. I'm going to invite that you thank God, give God praise and worship for the fact that he's allowed you to come home after living with the pigs, living life on your own, your own way. God, I want to thank you, Lord Jesus. I want to thank you for throwing a party for us. Thank you, God, for throwing a party for us. For allowing us to know your truth and your word. And you've allowed us to live in your grace and in the hope that you bring. And so, God, if we are walking around not living in the grace and the hope that you bring, help us to do so. And if we're walking around and we have no heart, no concern for the lost people who are all around us, God, they may not know it, but Lord, I know how many people are showing up to hear about your truth. I know how many people are no longer speaking on behalf of the word of God, your precious truth that you have poured into humanity. I ask that you would trigger our hearts to respond to knowing that you've done for us this remarkable thing of giving us life fully in you. And so, Lord, may we be desperate for it to happen in others. Awaken our hearts. Awaken them. God, stir them. Allow us to grieve for those who don't know the promise of Jesus Christ. You are the way and the truth. No one comes to the Father except through you. We know that you are the light of the world and that anybody who's walking in darkness can find their way if they come to Jesus. God, I believe that fully in the depths of my being. Break our hearts. Break our hearts for those who don't know you. Amen. Before we have an opportunity to stand and sing, uh, one of the struggles I think the son had was this, is that with the, the younger son coming out back home and with the way that God received him and welcomed him, he's like, hey, get the fat calf. This is going to be great party time. Right? He's doing all this. I think one of the reasons he struggled is because God messed up all of his plans. <laughs> right? 
You ever had that happen to you before? Like, you know how you want life. This is where you, you went to high school. This is where you're going to go to college. This is where you're going to go work. This is the type of job you want. This is who you're going to marry. Then maybe you'll have kids one day. Maybe you won't have kids one day. Maybe you'll, you'll, then you're going to move to this area, and you're going to have this type of retirement. God messed up their plans. You better be glad God messed up your plans. And if he hasn't messed up your plans, and you're holding on to them rather than holding on to what God has in store for you, then I would really ask you to check yourself. The older son was upset because God messed up his plans. Don't get lost in the temporary. Let's stand and sing together.